welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. All right, I'm not trying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Let me just say this. Anything is possible with God. I don't know, I was, I was feeling this uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. And I felt to say, I'm not going to preach on this, but I felt to say this. And, and if it's to nobody, then it'll just hang there in the ether, okay? But if it is for somebody, you take this and you put it in your pocket and you go home and open it up, okay? I felt to say this. You are not doomed to repeat what has happened to previous generations in your family. All right. If divorce has been a heritage of your family, it does not have to be your heritage. Okay. If poverty has been a heritage of your family, refuse the inheritance. It stops with me. I'm going to put the kingdom. If if backsliding is a part of your family's heritage stop it now you have the power through the Holy Ghost you don't have to do what your forefathers, your ancestors and your parents did you have the power through the Holy Ghost to change that I speak things in faith like you know you know, there's a lot of cancer that runs in my family. I've, I've just said, Lord, I'm not accepting that. Amen. Y'all wonder why I eat so much salt. I'm going with a heart attack. Amen. I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But, you know, I believe, I believe you can change things through the power of the spoken word. Now, I'm not preaching on this because I would have five minutes of anointing and preaching and 25 minutes of rambling. So just let me just say this. You do not have to fall victim to what your parents fell victim to or your grandparents or your great-grandparents fell victim to. That power resides in you because their proclivities to fail are present in you. But now you have the power of the Holy Ghost to overcome what they could not overcome or chose not to overcome. So make up in your mind, my children will be raised in the house of God. My children will not get visitation once a week with with their other parent. My bank account is not always going to be in the red. I'm going to live for God. Amen. Didn't cost you anything. I'm not even preaching on that, Brother Chase, but I'm just throwing that Throw, I don't know who needs to hear that, but you just take that, fold it up nice and neat, put it in your pocket, and then go home and open it up and go, oh, he was talking to me. Okay. It doesn't, look at you and say, it don't got to be that way. Amen. You can overcome. I believe that. 
you can over you can overcome. People say generational curse. I don't know how 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 okay I am with that term because a curse indicates you can't overcome it. We can overcome. You can overcome. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hebrews chapter nine and twenty seven. Do you receive that? Amen. Hebrews nine. I almost would say Amen and have prayer meeting and go home. But my wife has prepared so much for Super Sunday. I'd be in trouble. Amen. And I want to. I want to keep that. That, that we, I got a good thing going. I want to keep it. Amen. Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty seven. Please don't let this verse scare you. Actually, it shouldn't. If you're saved. If you're not saved, your knees ought to be knocking. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. So first it's appointed to man once to die, but after that the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. I'm going to preach. I know this is a, um, um, trying to trying to find the word here. Uh, it's a quip you hear a lot, but I don't want to preach it in as, as a casual quip. I want to, I want to preach it directly from the Bible. And I want to preach on this subject. Reverse the curse. I guess it does kind of go along a little bit. I, well, what do you know? I take that back. I put all this together. Amen. No. Reverse the curse. Amen. And, and let's pray. Ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we are so thankful. And we are so grateful for the mighty move of your presence. We are a privileged people to be in this house. And I thank you for your goodness and your compassions that fail not. Lord, I pray right now that you would uh, anoint me to speak the word as you have given it. And I pray that you would anoint us to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that every life would be changed for the better before we leave this place today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Would you thank the Lord again before you're seated? bless you. You can be seated. Brother J.D., so good to see you. We miss you on midweeks. I know you're out in Timbuktu during the week, but we love you. And and we, you know, I want to say this. I, I, I don't think we say this enough. And I do want to say this. And please, this does not count against my preaching time. I haven't started the clock yet. I want to say this. We, I, I want to just brag on our men for a minute. We've got some wonderful men at First Church. And I want to salute, I know it's not Father's Day, and we should do it more than, but I want to say to all of our men, we have hardworking men who support and lead their families. And I want to say, as, as a man and as a pastor, I want to say thank you to our men for loving your families and supporting your families and working hard and supporting the kingdom of God. You deserve to be honored. And thank you to our ladies and moms who support them and do a lot on their own. That didn't cost you anything either. Amen. Now I'm starting. 
Tragedy can happen in an instant. How many know that? In one moment, things can shift. One phone call can turn everything around. A great day can become the most horrid day that you've ever experienced. One, one moment can literally make the difference between life and death, altering the tra trajectory of human existence for all time and sometimes even throughout eternity. Such is the power of a decision in one single crucial moment can change the trajectory of your life. Just one careless moment, one unintentional moment, an action or a word will either build or tear down, bless or curse. We used to say, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that is the dumbest thing to try to ever believe because once a word flies out of your mouth, it has the ability to kill, maybe not physically, but it can deaden and change. You, you can't take words back. They don't go back. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. They just don't go back in. And so you have to be careful because even the, even the words we speak can change things. And, and I'm not here to be critical, but I want to criticize if that makes sense because I want to criticize the idea of I can't help myself. We are all blessed with, with the ability of reason, whether you use it or not, is not up to God. That's up to me. If I'm going to use reason and judgment with my words, Oftentimes, people will say what they wanted to say only to try to disqualify it by saying, well, that's just my temper or that's just my heritage. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people, you know, cuss out the one they love and then say, oh, that's just my Irish temper. No, that's your jerk. Oh, that's just my Latino blood. No, you're a jerk. You're mean. Oh, that's my great grandmama coming out. Why do you think she died looking so mean? The Bible gives us the power. It is literally, scientifically, neurologically impossible for a word to come out of my mouth without me first not having the ability to stop it. And even if it were true, the Bible says what is in your heart comes out of your mouth. I, I, I feel a little sideline on this right here. I need to follow this rabbit just a little while down that trail and say we have, the Bible says to be careful for nothing. Amen. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the sight of God. Amen. The Bible says we'll be judged by every idle word. That means every word that we said without intention. That word we said without even thought. The Bible says we'll be judged by, so when I speak, I need to speak carefully. You, you may not think that it bears much weight, but it does, and it can alter the trajectory of a relationship, a job, everything. You've got to be careful because small, small things, small things can alter things in a major, major way. There are adults sitting in this room right now that words were said to them as a child that even as adults many years later, they're still fighting against the condemnation of those words as children.
And all they, although they may be successful, they are still fighting damaging words. Amen. That, that, that have hindered them. There are adults that are successful in life that I know that at, at a very young age were abused and, and they still, they have to overcome more than the average person with that bu- uh, uh, abuse or, or, or the sexual molestation that had happened to them as a child. That's why I think the only thing fitting for that would be what Jesus said, drown them. Amen. That's what he said. Put a rock around their neck and throw them in the ocean. I'm all for that. I'll tie the knot in Jesus' name. Amen. I may seem a little harsh. I'm sorry. That's not PC for 2023, but I still believe the word. I, I, I have unfortunately had to, to, to work with people trying to work through that in their life, and it is, it, it is something they live with every day of their life. Actions have consequences. Words have consequences, and you may think it's just a little thing, but it makes a big difference in their life. You cannot imagine how far it will take your children to bless them and not curse them, to build them up and not tear them down. It's amazing how far your spouse will go if you will bless them and not curse them, build them up and not tear them down. It's amazing how far you will go in life if you will look in the mirror and speak blessing rather than speaking venom and bitterness even against your own self. Amen. Not even in my notes yet. The devil hasn't cursed some of us. We do it. It's amazing how critical we are on ourselves. We can stumble and make an innocent mistake, and the first thing is we say, oh, you idiot. Just pause it. Let me just pause and say this. God views that no different than you saying that to a child. I don't know why I'm on this, Brother Chase. But when you, when you speak that against yourself, God will hold you accountable for that. Just because you didn't say it to somebody else doesn't mean it did not offend God because, after all, you are his child. And whether you speak it against another child of God or you speak it against yourself, it offends God. That's why the Bible says treat others as you would want to be treated. And the reason some people can treat other people badly is because they've never learned to treat themselves like God wants to be uh, us to be treated. Amen. You can't love others until you love yourself. But if we're not careful, we will allow these little decisions to make a drastic difference in our life. It was almost 38 years ago. Um, it was almost 38 years ago. It was January 28, 1986, and uh, which is my wife's birthday, not 86, many years later. January the 28th, we're almost at 38 years. Some of you will remember that date, and I even said what it was. You'll remember that children around North America, I was one of them, sat and watched a crucial moment unfold before their eyes as the Challenger space shuttle lifted off, carrying for the first time a civilian school teacher who planned to make history by teaching her lessons from space. Krista McAuliffe had beat out over 11,000 candidates 
in a nationwide competition to become the first civilian in space with the full support of her husband, Steve, their nine-year-old son, Scott, and their six-year-old daughter, Caroline. She carried with her the school flag from Concord High School in Concord, Massachusetts, or, or Concord, New Hampshire, where the entire student body was watching the mission on a TV monitor. I was one of those child children, as some of you were in school. I remember them rolling out that that big old TV that was held down by a come-along strap on wheels that a janitor had built somewhere. It was always lopsided, and we watched that. But suddenly, in a split second of time, Krista uh, had promised uh, had promised what Krista had promised would be the ultimate field trip ended in disaster. The last words radioed on that freezing January morning almost 38 years ago were the, from the shuttle commander, Dick Scobie, and he said, quote, Roger, go with throttle up, end quote. Only, 47, only 74 seconds into the mission, what the watching world knew something had gone terribly wrong when a huge explosion and an awful plume of smoke racked the sky above them. It seemed an eternity until the voice of mission control uttered the fateful words, quote, obviously a major malfunction. Families were quickly hustled away from the launch site, and horrified teachers tried to calm tens of thousands of school children in schools around America and around the world, as I can clearly remember the gasping in our classroom as a child when we saw the explosion. I can still see the explosion and streaks of material coming. How many remember that? Streaks of material, burning pieces of material going in different directions. Families were quickly whisked away. Steve, Steve McCullough, with Scott and Caroline, sat in, Christina, in Krista's dorm room at NASA. Her sneakers were still on the floor. This is what he said, quote, this is not how it's supposed to be. Mission control rapidly uh, uh, tried to spin this and spin the uh, story. Rather than delivering the State of the Union address that evening, as was scheduled, President Ronald Reagan made a brief speech, and in part, he said, quote, we'll continue our quest in space. He promised the traumatized Americans for whom all uh, the world, or, or for whom the word shuttle had once been so routine and now saw only thing, the only thing they saw was disaster. President Reagan said this, there will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. But there would be no more shuttle flights for almost three years and there would be no teacher in space. And for those left on the ground, for the families of the seven adventurers who died, there would be years of bitterness and grief and pain and anger before finally lives could heal. One moment in time that had gone horribly and irreparably wrong. Stay with me. The search for the debris would take several months. 31 ships, 52 aircraft, 60, or excuse me, 6,000 workers. It would find Krista McAuliffe's lesson plans floating in the Atlantic Ocean and would discover that some of the astronauts had even been alive during the three to four minute fall to the ocean. 
Shortly after the last funerals were held, a commission chaired by Secretary of State William Rogers revealed the conclusions of its investigation. The explosion of a $1.2 billion spacecraft was due to a faulty O-ring seal on the solid rocket fuel booster. A $900 synthetic rubber band that engineers had warned was vulnerable at temperatures below 51 degrees. The Challenger launch had been canceled three times already because of weather. And then on the time it had launched, it had taken place in 36-degree weather. Remember, the engineer said below 51 degrees, the O-ring is compromised, but they did it anyway. The Roger Commission found that both the company that made the O-ring and NASA itself was guilty of allowing an avoidable accident to occur. Amen. Uh, uh, Krista's mother, Grace Corrigan, said it should not have happened. They were told not to launch, and they decided 24 other shuttle flights went okay, so they became complacent. One crucial decision gone horribly and irreparably wrong. I bring that event that is in most of our minds to our forefront to bring us to one of the most horrific moments for mankind in our most horrific hour when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And they failed God, effectively dragging all of humanity and its descendants into the gapping chasm of sin. Amen. A tragic transgression forever frozen in a split second of failure when the guillotine of guilt fell and God's highest creation was severed from their highest destiny and their highest relationship. And the Bible informs us that God only gave them one commandment in the garden. He only gave Adam and Eve one commandment. He said, you, you can eat of any tree in this garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that grew in the garden. And even with one simple commandment, they still could not obey God. Can I just pause and say this here this afternoon? Amen. Some people may look around and say the problem with the church is there are too many rules. Well, guess what? We fail when there was only one rule. It's not the quantity of rules, amen. It's the condition of the heart as to whether we want to obey and follow God. We're in the way of holiness series. Listen to me. If your heart is not, not after God, it will be hardened even further through a series like that. But if you are saying, God, I love you with everything that I am, and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, God couldn't make enough rules for me. God couldn't make enough rules for you that you wouldn't follow after it. Genesis 2 and 16 through 17 and the Lord command, Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis 3 and 6 says and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree be desired to make one wise she she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also her husband with her and he did eat. 
in that awful instant, they knew they were naked before God. And they knew they were naked before each other. Even their own bodies would now be a hindrance to them in their relationship with the holy God. The knowledge that that had looked so desirable only a moment before suddenly lost its attractiveness. Only just seconds earlier, they could not help themselves seemingly from wanting that fruit to where in the moment that they ate of it, the full weight of moral responsibility now fell on the frail shoulders of mankind. The Bible doesn't tell us directly, amen, what kind of tree our first parents ate from when they disobeyed God. And I want to say this before I I go down this road. It has no salvific bearing over what kind of tree it is. And the Bible doesn't explicitly say what type of tree it is, but several months ago I was in study on this and and and, and even going into the Way of Holiness series and I, I got on this trail of studying this, amen, and even though the Bible doesn't directly say what it is, I do believe the Bible gives us some hints of what that tree may be or what that fruit could have been and, and I will say this, that, that, that it may be present before us today, but it doesn't mean that it's, that you can't eat of this, amen, so the Bible does doesn't tell us, but it gives us a strong hint. Now ask yourself this question. When Adam and Eve immediately grasped in desperation for a covering for their nakedness, what was it their hands fell upon? They grabbed the closest thing to them. Genesis 3 and 7 says, and the eyes of them were both open. Instantly, their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now listen, this is not a doctoral cross I'm willing to die on. This is just a suggestion that is instantly when their eyes were open, they grabbed, and it was instant, they grabbed what was closest to them to make a covering. Man was attempting to cover his fallen nature with the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge. His own thinking on how to achieve righteousness before God and conquer the evil now throbbing within his heart. And mankind has been trying in vain ever since then to sow our own fig leaves together with hundreds of religions, with thousands of self-help projects, and millions of righteous deeds. Amen. We have been trying to cover our sin ever since. But the answer will never be found in the garments of goodness. Our clothing of competency, our aprons of accomplishment will not get it done. In actual fact, it is this very desire, amen, to guard ourselves, to cover ourselves by our own power from good and evil is ultimately our own undoing. We must realize we can never cover ourselves, amen, from the judgment of God. Only God can do something like that and mankind was was if you would failed by a fig tree and this doesn't mean you can't eat figs anymore I eat them all the time I got a big fig tree on the outside of my backyard amen if you want to go down that path behind my house and grab some go grab a bunch of them everybody else is I eat fig jelly all the time I love figs I love fig newtons amen I love figs and pigs amen matter of fact 
A, a pig fig is really good. Amen. Put, put some fig jam on a pork chop. It'll, it'll change your world. But, but mankind was, was fallen by a fig tree. It's well documented in ancient Jewish literature that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. For example, the Midrash refers several times to the, quote, fig leaf that brought remorse to the world. But wait, there's a second fig tree in this tale because both Matthew and Mark record a strange event in their gospel that puzzles scholars even to this day. Mark 11 and 13 through 14 and 20 through 21 says, And Jesus, seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, Jesus came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man shall eat of the fruit of the hereafter or ever. And this is verse 20. And in the morning as they passed, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree that thou curseth has withered away. You can also read Matthew 21 where this same event took place. The dilemma that scholars find in this passage of, of verses is quite simple. Let me say this. I know I'm taking a long time to get off the runway, but once I'm in the air, it won't be long. Jesus cannot be teaching a lesson on the consequences of unfruitfulness here. As often is assumed, that's what he's teaching, is he is teaching against not being fruitful. That cannot be the case because it would be unreasonable. Because the Bible clearly said it was not time for figs. So it would be unreasonable to curse the tree for not producing fruit outside of the season it was destined by God to produce fruit in. There is seemingly no sensible explanation for his curse on an innocent, barren fig tree. But could it be that there is something much more momentous that is happening in this mysterious passage of Scripture that I read. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hey, Amen. Bear, bear with me for just, just, just a few more moments. Consider for a moment the possibility that Jesus is making an eternal statement when he walks into the edges of Jerusalem on the outskirts and only four days before his crucifixion. Consider the parenthetical context of what is happening here. He is about to be crucified in four days and on his way into the city, he stops by a fig tree. Amen. And, and might God be looking back, amen, to another fateful day in the history of humanity, amen, as he now stands in flesh before a tree just like the tree that caused man to fall in the garden, that Jesus looked at the tree that started everything. And then cursed it. That would explain Jesus' otherwise unjustified curse. 
if he is now bringing judgment on the same type of tree that Adam and Eve first ate of, the one that brought sin and death to, hum to humanity, then Jesus stops and looks at it and he curses not just the tree, but he even cursed the roots of the tree. To where the next day when they walked by, they said, Master, it is dead. Even down to its roots, it has withered up and died. I want to tell you something. When God, when God speaks, amen, when God made manifest in the flesh, when Jesus Christ speaks, I want you to know that when he speaks, even the curse is cursed. Even the cursed is cursed. Amen. When Jesus speaks, the first Adam ate the fruit of the tree and brought death. But the second Adam, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the second Adam. Amen. He walked up to the same type of tree that brought the curse to man in the beginning. And before he went to the cross, he stopped at another tree. Amen. But this, the second Adam did not take a fig to eat. He looked at the tree and he said, I'm going to curse you. Amen. The curse that you brought on mankind. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Jesus could not find any figs to eat on that tree. In other words, it was symbolic because the first fig tree had figs and Adam and Eve ate and fell. Amen, Jesus. The second Adam saw a fig tree and there was no figs for him to eat. The first Adam fell into sin by eating and the second Adam brought us out of sin by not partaking. Think about it. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we yet without sin. There was no sin in him. There was no sin in him. Amen. The second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15 and 45 and 47 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthly. Amen. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The first Adam was of the earth, but the second Adam was of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hey, man, I can remember, and if you'll indulge me to refer for just a moment, I can remember uh, Bishop Johnny James preaching a message entitled Second Beats First. And this is what he said. The first Adam cursed us, but the second Adam blessed us. The first Adam hurt us, and the second Adam healed us. The first Adam put us out, but the second Adam got us in. The first Adam put us down but the second Adam lifted us up the first Adam put us on the road to hell but the second Adam put us on the road to heaven the first Adam ate off the tree and the second Adam died on a tree the second Adam brought the second birth so we could avoid the second death and be ready for the second coming because second beats first 
Oh, I'm preaching about reversing the curse here this afternoon. Let me say it again. The second Adam brought us the second birth so we could avoid the second death and be ready for the second coming. I'm so glad that Jesus stopped by the fig tree and said, what you brought that cursed man. Amen, I'm gonna curse you. Amen, I'm gonna give away for life and that life more abundantly. Y'all with me so far? Amen. Now don't walk out here saying, Pastor said we can't eat figs. Amen. That's not it. I'm going to eat me some today, the Lord willing. And listen, this is not a doctrinal hill I'm going to die on. So if you think it was an apple tree, you go right ahead. I don't think it was an apple. I think the closest indication of what kind of tree it was was the thing they were closest proximity to. That makes sense? You okay with that? It's not a heaven or hell issue. I'm just throwing it out. This hit me a few months ago in study. They grabbed the closest thing to them. They were naked. God came walking through the garden. They had to cover up. Amen. You trying to cover your own sins always going to leave you with a rash. Come on now. I got fig leaves out behind my house and I couldn't imagine making me a set of fruit of the looms out, out, of, out, of, out of fig leaves. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you'd be doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk everywhere you went. Woo, 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 because that stuff ain't comfortable. That stuff is itchy. That stuff is abrasive. But let me tell you what sin will leave you doing every time you try to cover it yourself. It'll it'll leave you trying to act better, better than you really are. It'll try to leave you acting tougher than you really are, acting richer than you really are, acting smarter than you, but you really can't hide that because God knows everything. Why don't you surrender the fig leaves and go back to the blood of the lamb? Why don't you surrender trying to do it yourself and let God do it? I'm preaching about reversing the curse. The first tree cursed us, but the second tree gave us life. And so as I, I, I begin uh, to close this, I want to talk to you about three, three seconds that are very important. Not three seconds as in time, but three positions of seconds. That's very important. Number one is the second birth. In John 3 and 4 and through 5, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he end the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is the second birth. Let me just say this. If you think you got dealt the bad hand in your first birth, try being born again. If your first birth stunk on ice, well, get born again. If your first father let you down, get born again, get a new daddy. If your first mama was a train wreck, get born again. Amen. Get you a new mama. It's called the church. There's a second birth now. now then there's the second death. Revelations chapter 21 and verse 8 says, 
But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, the second Adam came so you could have a second birth. And the second Adam, that is Jesus, came that you could avoid the second death. And I know what you're saying right now. Well, pastor, I'm alive. I haven't died yet. That might be the problem. Because the Bible says repentance is a type of death. Can, can I just be clear about something? Listen, I've only been preaching 33 and a half minutes. I got it. Can I be very clear about what repentance ain't? Repentance ain't, I'm sorry, Lord, now go do it again. That ain't repentance. Uh-uh. People, some people repent because they got caught. You ever seen anybody that got caught and they were sorry? There's a difference between being sorry because you were caught and being sorry because it's wrong. And when people are apologizing because they got caught, rather than feeling wrong, you don't know, uh, being human, we can't discern, we don't know if it's true repentance or not. But true repentance is about facing from what you did. If, you're re if you repent for slapping somebody and to go out and slap somebody again, you didn't repent. I, I know this is profound. I, I didn't mean to go this deep today. If, if you repent for, for, for drinking, amen, and then you go out and you do it again, you didn't repent. Repentance, oh, I know it's not popular, but repentance means what I did, I don't do anymore. I, what I did, I don't do anymore. That's the first death, the death to sin, the death to self, the death to my first Adamic nature of sin. When I die out and say, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't want to be what I was. I don't want to be the man that I was. I don't, I don't want to be like that anymore. I repent. I confess you are right and I am wrong. I'm going to stop doing that. If you be my help, I'm going to stop doing it. I'm not going to say those words. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to participate in that. That means you go home and start canceling subscriptions. Somebody help me preach right now. That means you go home and clean closets out. That means you go home and get You don't box stuff up and put it in the attic. You throw it in the trash because you're not leaving room to sin. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. No, a man one time, Sister Cynthia, God delivered him from drinking. He repented. God delivered him of drinking every once in a while. He'd, he'd have himself a sippy sip. Amen. Then he'd repent and he'd go home and he went a long time, but he went home without drinking. But one night he went home from repenting uh, 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 and he went home and he took all his whiskey bottles he had hid behind uh, the dishes and his, his wife's dishes in the, in the uh, china cabinet. Amen. I don't know if y'all know what a china 
china cabinets. Back home, amen, mama would buy fancy plates and put them in a fancy cabinet called the china cabinet. And what was china? And I, I, Growing up, I didn't really know china was a cabinet. I thought it was plates that if you touch, you're getting slapped in the head. That's what I thought china was. Amen. I wasn't going to touch china. Amen. That, them plates never came out unless the pastor came over. That's the only time china came out. And, and then she didn't trust us. She'd put a paper plate on top of that china because she didn't trust us kids. Amen. But he took his he took his whiskey bottles uh, and he put them in a box and he hit them. Amen. Something that he'd had in the cabin uh, cabinet. He pulled them out because he really repented and he put them in a box uh, and he took them to the garage and he put them in an attic. Amen. Some two or three years later, he fell weak. Amen. And his wife uh, called the pastor and said he's in a drunken stupor. And he come over to pray with this drunk. Amen. And when they got him sober enough and could talk to him and said, where did you get the whiskey? He said, well, the last time I prayed through, I put it in boxes and I put it up in. See, that ain't repentance. When you put it in the box and put it in the attic, what you are saying is, I might need my sin a little later on down the road. You need to open the lid and pour it down the... You need to open the lid and pour it down the toilet and flush it. Get it over with. You need to do those things with sin in your life. Amen. Quit deleting the history. Quit going back and saying, I'll shove it to the side. You need to get rid of that once and for all because that's, I know this is old fashioned, but I'm going to preach it. You got to take that sin and get it out of your life. And if you'll die the first death, you won't have to die the second death. Oh, hallelujah. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. Now, there's another second. Hebrews 9 and 28 says, So Jesus, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You got the second birth, you got the second death, and now you got the second coming. You need to be ready for that second coming. I preached it before I left. Jesus is still coming back. You say, Pastor, I'm healthy and fit as a fiddle and I ain't got nothing to worry about. Y- yes, you do. Amen. Yet we all do. Amen. I ain't worried about it because I'm right with God. I'm looking for it. Behold, he cometh. And I'm looking to the clouds from whence he's coming back on. Amen. You, you, you may think that you're young or you're fit or you're healthy or you got it all together and you'll have plenty of time. But the Bible said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. He cometh as a thief in the, in the night, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye two shall be laying in bed and one taken away two walking down the road and two, one taken away two working at the mill and one taken away what I'm trying to tell you is there is a second coming and we better be ready for the second coming of the Lord In the cursing of that fig tree, Brother Lucas, if you'll come. In the cursing of that fig tree, amen. In cursing the fig tree so that it withered and died, Jesus was illustrating his victory over all factors of the Garden of Eden around which Adam and Eve failed. When Jesus cursed that fig tree, amen, Simon Peter may not have understood it, amen, but I believe Matthew understood it. And I believe some of them around 
Jerusalem, they understood it because as early Jews, they understood and they believed that that fig tree was there in the garden. And some of them realized and understood that when Jesus cursed that fig tree, amen, and he said no man would be able to eat from the cursed fig tree again. And after Calvary, no, what he was saying was after Calvary, no man would ever have to rely on his own insufficient power to know and overcome good and evil anymore. After Calvary, he said, I'm gonna give you the power. I'm gonna give you the authority. You can't do it on your, matter of fact, you can't cover yourself, so I'll cover you. I'll cover you in my blood. I'll cover you in my word. Amen. And Jesus was in fact, in effect saying, I'm about to reverse the curse that has bound my creation. I'm going to reverse it. One fig tree brought death. I'm going to curse it so it won't happen again. You have a second chance. You hear me? You have a second chance. No matter what your life has been like up to this point, you have a chance to reverse the curse of sin that you have carried since the moment you were born. Because we were all born in sin and shaping in iniquity. Nobody was born in perfection. I know when them little babies are born, they look perfect to their mamas. All dads were kind of raising one eyebrow when they're born. When that baby's born, we're going, mama's crying. So beautiful. Perfect, isn't it perfect? And you go, huh? I perfectly do not understand why it looks like that. And women are laughing because I know they were beautiful and perfect. And, and they were beautiful. Wasn't quite what I expected. I handed Addie back to the doctor and said, may need to be in the oven for another two or three weeks. We think this thing's finished yet. Their head's shaped funny. You know? See, we see that Gerber baby. All chubby and cute and just, you know. They come out, man, they've been in a fight to be born. And they look like it. as cute as they are they're sinful little creatures I'm not going to go back into it again but I've shown you this time and time again you never have to teach a child to lie it's the most natural thing they'll do you never have to teach a child how to be dishonest it's the most natural thing you'll never have to teach a child how to rebel it's the most natural th- it's as natural as breathing what you have to do is teach them to be honest to tell the truth to not rebel. Listen, you have a second chance. And no matter what your life has been like to this point, God's given you a chance to reverse the curse. I want you to listen to this. If you are born once, you'll die twice. But if you are born twice, you'll only die once.
Let me say it again. If you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. Pastor, are you promising me everlasting life? I can't promise you anything. Jesus promised everlasting life. I hope this isn't too simple this afternoon. But Jesus said you're better off to have never been born than to be born and to know and not take advantage of the second birth. You must be born again. You must be born again. Because only your second birth can cancel out your second funeral. Only your second birth can cancel out your second funeral. You think your first funeral is sad? It only lasts about an hour. But your second funeral will last all of eternity. There are two, there are two dimensions to being born again. Water, of bab, water baptism puts you in Christ. The Holy Ghost baptism puts Christ in you. I've come to tell somebody today, you need to reverse the curse. You need to make up in your mind right now. I am going to serve God. I am going to serve God. Oftentimes the difference between success and failure in serving God is one's determination to not be the same. What is it? What is it that takes one person, you know, Brother Strickland, you've been in this long time. Sister Gaylene, you've been in this long time generationally. What is it? What is it that a person could be second, third, fourth, fifth generation Pentecostal and throw away their relationship with God as if it were nothing and struggle with living for God in one day, out one day, in one day, out one day. And then somebody who never knew this glorious truth, once they get it, they never let it go. And they lock on to it like a bulldog. And you couldn't shake them out of the presence of God. You couldn't kick them out of the church. You couldn't offend them enough to walk. What is it? It's that determination to reverse the curse. You don't have the power to reverse the curse, but Jesus does. Would you stand with me this afternoon? Oh, I feel the presence of, the, of a holy God in this house right now. I started out before I even read my text. And as I felt, I didn't even I didn't say it this morning. I felt led to say it this afternoon. Not even realizing how the Spirit of the Lord was going to bring me in to say this at the end. If you ever feel like the past, and what I mean by the past, is the failures of the generations before you and your family are looming over you, I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. When you are, listen to me, when you are born again of the water and of the Spirit, that curse is broken. The curse.
curse is broken. The only way that it can affect you is if you reach under the blood and pull it out. I don't believe I have to get up every morning and, and say a certain prayer to break generational curses. The blood of Jesus did it. Did it once and that's all it needs. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Just because my grandparents or parents or extended family doesn't mean it's got to happen to me that way. You know what I'm doing? I'm pointing to a second fig tree and I'm telling the devil it's dead. Jesus has reversed the curse in my life. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Would you lift your hands to heaven where you are? Would you lift your hands to heaven? Maybe you've never been born again of the water and of the Spirit. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. Maybe you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus or filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it can be done today. If you will allow Him, it can be done today. Maybe, maybe the root is trying to come alive in your life again. Maybe that, that, that curse is leaping up from your past and is trying to grab a hold of you like a vine and pull you back down. I'm telling you, Jesus has reversed the curse. You don't got to ask him to do it. He already did it 2,000 years ago. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I feel it breaking right now. Come on, that's it. I feel the Holy Ghost moving right now. I feel, I feel physical healing is going to happen to somebody today. Just because your grandparents and your parents had heart disease doesn't mean you've got to have it. Just because they had diabetes doesn't mean you've got to have it. Just because they had a bad marriage doesn't mean you've got to have it. Just because they were broke doesn't mean you've got to be broke. Jesus came to break the curse. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Jesus came to turn it around. In him there was life and that life more abundantly. God didn't save you to be miserable. God didn't save you to be in fear. God didn't save you to be bound. God didn't save you to be in misery. He saved you to give you life. It's time, come on. You need to make up in your mind. I'm not going down that path. I'm not going down that road. I'm gonna let him reverse the curse. You need a breakthrough. You need a renewal. You ought to step up this afternoon and say, yes, Lord. You've reversed the curse in Jesus' name. I'm not letting the enemy pull that out of the blood. I'm not letting the enemy try to put that back on me. He's already reversed it. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. 
We want to stay connected with you. And so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.